Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. You know, just tell your whole podcast. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? gentlemen welcome to the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast coming to you live on a friday night with a special edition saturday release podcast with my man tony merkel from the confessionals podcast can you hear the atmosphere folks i'm out here with the crickets in the wild looking for bigfoot right now as we speak camping Searching for the wild creature. Folks, if you want to support this journey and many more, go over to patreon.com slash mftic where we have all the best footage of every single episode and of the journeys that we've been going on. It's all going to be there. Okay? And we have DJ Pistol Pete himself doing all of the music. I love DJ Pistol Pete. He's actually... My best friend. A new best friend. And if you want to be like DJ Pistol Pete, go over to the Apple reviews and leave us a nice review. Or you can support us on Patreon and get in touch with me directly. Like, shout out Tasha Peterson. Tasha is the newest member of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy book club. And her husband. Thank you for reminding me, Tara. Tasha and Devin, okay, they're both really cool people, and they just joined the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy book club, and we're going to send them a book, and if you want to be one of the few, select few champions out of our heroes in the Patreon who received a book in the mail, sign up today, it's almost the end of the month. Ron and a bunch of other folks, they got stickers. We're sending out cool stuff all the time, folks. You help us out on this journey that we're going on. We're literally, we're sleeping in a tent, folks, okay? I'm doing all this from a tent. Looking for Sasquatch. Tony Merkel is a fantastic guest. I've been listening to the confessionals for a couple years now. It's really another mind-blowing opportunity. We went from having... The Grimerica show. We had Alex Sakaris on from the Skeptico podcast. We had Miguel Connor from Aeon Bite. We had Greg Carlwood from the Higher Side Chats. And now we're having Tony 
from the confessionals, I mean, and so many more in between. Joe from Legit Bat, my homie. Ron from New England, my homie. I mean, shout out to all the homies that have been on the show. We got a, a new homie coming out on the show. Oh, the homie Romy. Stay tuned for more with the homie Romy. But come on, folks, you know, Alt Media United, we're networking. I know everybody in this game, okay? Shout out to Sam Tripoli, the OG Ronin. Anyways, enough with the shout outs, folks. Tony Merkel did not disappoint. He brought the heat. Talked about the slew foot. Have you even ever heard of that? I haven't till today. Well, when this was recorded. But anyways, hopefully we don't run into that because we're just looking for back Bigfoot, no slew foot. Slew foot, please stay away. We're looking for Bigfoot. Anyways, I love you all. You're all my heroes for listening to this show. And with that, folks, have a fantastic now wherever you are and enjoy this conversation but first enjoy this interlude and i mix up all of these by myself using music that i get for free using commercial commons 4.0 so folks shout out to all the great musicians who put their awesome music out for free on the internet that makes those segments even possible Enjoy. The land between the lakes where there's, you know, dogman activity. They've had the Bigfoot activity. They have the goblins, the the gigantic cave system, the mammoth cave system. I heard that that actually stretches all the way up into New York. The Aztecs might have made it all the way up to Utah here in Pennsylvania. That on Google Maps is called the China Wall. They say that it was formed millions of years ago when the continents shifted, the bedrock of the ocean shot up and create this long wall. I mean, dude, I'm telling you, this wall is at points that I was standing, I climbed it. it. At points it was like 50 feet, 100 feet high, and there, it was in sections. Like somebody like picked up these giant boulders and stacked them on top of each other. The boulders on top of each other, you can see straight through. Like they're two separate pieces. And there's, there's, there's tons of that kind of stuff all over this country. There's a point to a history of us and this country that doesn't go with the history books you're manipulating the kids with. Then in Texas, there's another place in Texas, I forget the name of it, but I think it's like an 18 mile long wall that's underground. And there has been this one guy who paid to have it, parts of it excavated. There's another place, Mayan ruins that are in Georgia. Government has that locked down. You can't visit it. The story that took is taking me to Kentucky. I'm going to Kentucky because this guy, when he was 15 years old, about 15, 20 years ago now, he went out raccoon hunting with his grandfather, these creatures on four legs, and he actually saw this thing stand up on its hind legs and pursue him. And so what these things are, I don't know. Now, my guest Kyle believes that these are natural animals. He, he grew up in Kentucky where he's not the only one who's, as he got older, he found out that these things are being seen in Kentucky. And the old timers, like his grandfather, called them slewfoots. And in an old blues bluesgrass song, uh, it's called Slewfoot something. They're describing a bear, according to the lyrics, that runs 90 miles an hour, jumps 30 feet, does all these like supernatural things. And so when his grandfather would say slewfoot as a kid, he thought it was a bear. But it turns out that the lyrics to that song were changed over time. At one time, the bear in the story was a wolf man. 
I'll be in Kentucky hunting the dog man the first week of October. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into that right away. Kentucky, there's this really interesting area called the Penny Royal. Have you spoken to anybody in that area or know anything about the Penny Royal legend? I know there's a whole podcast called Penny Royal. Yeah. And I, I listened to that podcast because a lot of people were telling me it had a lot of uh, parallels to a uh, series on YouTube called Hellier. And so I, I listened to that podcast a long time ago, but that was all like news to me when I was listening to it. What, I, what I've come to understand though, through the Hellier crew, Penny Royal, and then the people that I talked to that are in Kentucky, Kentucky is a bizarre place, man. Like going back to like over a hundred years ago, if you ever heard of the, the meat storm that happened there where the, the, like I, I get these people said that meat just literally fell from the sky, like for, a, a, I think it was like an hour or two, like just, it was like a meat shower. Right. And the one guy I had on my show, who's, who's the reason why I was, I'm even going to Kentucky to begin with. He told me that, that that's a true story. And the, I guess his family was one of the people that went through all that. I mean, it was his lineage right. and so he, he's been rooted in Kentucky for, you know, centuries, him and his family. It's been really interesting finding out more and more about Kentucky. They got the, the LBL, which is real famous, the land between the legs where there's, you know, dog man activity. They've had the Bigfoot activity. They have the goblins, the gigantic cave system, the mammoth cave system. I heard that that actually stretches all the way up into New York. And so, I mean, when you, when you go down the road of like hollow earth and the idea of hollow earth, people are like, I have a hard time believing like, do you, do you know, do you ever hear this things called caves? I mean, the, the earth is hollow to a certain extent, at least. So right. could things be, you know, living in those caves? Well, sure, because man has lived in caves. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I, I just, I find Kentucky extremely interesting. And there's this guy that was on my show and he had uh, one of the most terrifying dog man encounters I've ever heard in my life. I told him I'm coming down. He said it was okay. And uh, I, I'm going down there and I'm going to go to the location that this happened at where he was attacked by this thing and he was actually saved by his hunting dog. This happened when he was 15 and he's never been back to the location before. He's going to take me there. He said he will not stay out there at night. He has been begging me not to camp there. I'm just like, well, I'm there to see this thing and have, have this experience and maybe even, you know, come home with a head. And so I, I, he, he's been asking me if we would just at least consider staying in our trucks. So I'll consider it. We'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm, I, I don't typically get a whole lot of like nerves going into the woods, but knowing what happened at this location, according to this guy, I was, I, I'm a little nervous. I really am. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but it's in the Daniel Boone national forest. And just, it's one of those places, man, Kentucky. I, I freaking love Kentucky. I'm in the Philly area and me and my wife have been talking about possibly moving out of state and I'm not going to Kentucky. I might go to like East Tennessee, which is right near Kentucky. So. Wow. Yeah. My girlfriend and I went to Philly, certainly yeah. a hotbed for mysterious energy. I mean, we met up with a fellow truth seeker, author, Ross Ben, who is very much in tune with Wissahickon Creek and Philly and that particular Germantown area. And he describes Philly as a haunt, you know, so it's no coincidence to me that you're, you know, one of the biggest paranormal podcasters and you're based out of Philadelphia. I mean, this place is an energetic magnet for this type of stuff. So you just look at the history of Philadelphia and I mean, there's so much baggage that comes along 
throughout the existence of our country that is mm. percolating around Philadelphia. There's an old fort called uh, Fort Mifflin right off the Delaware River. It, it's really underfunded. It, it's, you know, a tourist, quote unquote, tourist attraction that doesn't have much funding from the government. And so they're just fighting to stay open. But I started looking into the area and, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in the idea of treasure hunting. And there's about six, seven treasure lures in Pennsylvania that are treasures that supposedly were never found. And, you know, I, one day I was just kind of like browsing around the internet, trying to, you know, maybe find my next place to visit and make a video and stuff. And I, I want to do treasure hunting. Well, I, I, I forget how I came across it, but Fort Mifflin, and I started looking at Fort Mifflin for a few days. And I was like, you know what? I bet there's tons of artifacts there that haven't even been found because recently, I think just in the last year or two, they found an entire underground cavern in the fort that they didn't even know was there. Uh, somebody was mowing the lawn and it kind of like dipped down hard and they dug it up. And it was an old chamber where they, um, I guess even in the civil war, they put prisoners in there, but they filled it in. People forgot it was even there and it was, per it's perfectly preserved. I mean, the wood isn't rotted, nothing. It was, it was, it's beautiful. And so I'm looking at it, I'm thinking if they just found that just a year or two ago, then who knows what could be there. And so I started looking into the history of Fort Mifflin during the revolutionary war. Uh, the British had actually started the construction of this fort and then they abandoned the project because the land that was, they were building on was not ideal. It was very sandy. And so the Americans came in afterwards and finished the building of the fort. And the, the location, as far as um, strategy goes, was perfect because you had the Delaware River right there. And it was like, it's not like this anymore, but at the time it was like an island. The river kind of went around it. And so they, they built the fort and there was a battle there for, I believe, five weeks. And the British ships came up the Delaware River and they were just hammering this fort for about five weeks. The last week for five days straight, they just rapid fire on this one location on the fort to blow the doors off. Eventually, the Americans, they, they let the flag running to make it look like they were still there, but they evacuated at night and got out. But I, I started thinking to myself, OK, so there's probably a lot of, you know, cannonballs, things like that, that have never been found there. Also what the Americans did do to prevent the ships from coming too close is they built like 30 by 30 foot boxes of wood and they filled it with about, I think it was like 20 or 30,000 pounds of rocks. And so there's these big rocks or wooden boxes with rocks in that they sunk in the bottom of the river and they had these poles coming out with spikes on the end so that the ships could get hung up on that and they couldn't go a certain distance to the, to the fort. And so I'm thinking, okay, that gives me like a perimeter of where we, we search because how far do cannonballs fire from back then? So I started looking at that and the, the naval cannons shot about 200 yards. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, so we got a 200 yard radius around the fort is where the ships were pretty much hung up at least. So I'm doing all this, this stuff and I, I'm looking in, it doesn't look like anybody ever looked for these boxes that were on the bottom of the river. And I, I called the Fort Mifflin. And I started picking their brain and the lady, she, she was pretty, pretty cold towards me. I'm asking her questions and she told me that, you know, anything on the river would have been gone by now because it's always changing. I don't necessarily agree with that. You know, I, I, maybe not the box is whole, but there might be remnants of something. But then I, there's a moat that goes around the fort. And I asked her, because she's telling me that it, things have been excavated and they've, they've had archaeologists out here and all that. And I asked her, I said, did anybody ever look in the moat going around the, the fort? And she, she's like about to say, yes. She's like, yeah, 
And then she stops and she's like, no, nobody's ever looked in the, in the moat. And she's like, who are you? And I was like, I'm just, a, I didn't know what to say to that. I, I wish I would have had a better answer, but I said, I'm a local treasure hunter. And she's like, then absolutely not. And I was like, dang it. If nobody's looked in the moat, then there's definitely artifacts there. I mean, cannonballs, things like that. They do ghost tours at Fort Mifflin. It's a haunted fort. There's ghosts that are there. Obviously, lots of people have died there, prisoners throughout wars and stuff. So yeah, Philly, man, uh, it, it, there's a lot there, lots there. It was the capital yeah. of the country at one time. Well, yeah, that's the other side of it. It's so much has happened there. When we talk about forts, particularly haunted places and even places that have treasure, there's an energy that sticks around and people tend to describe that as haunted. They see apparitions, but is this a theme that you've noticed through your many interviews with different witnesses that place is a factor in the encounter and these events that take place that are, you know, sticking with them well beyond when it occurs? Yeah, absolutely. The Native American aspect of our country is very deep in this kind of idea. There's a lot of history that has been suppressed throughout the history of, this, of the building of this country. And the Native Americans got the short end of the stick a lot of times. There's a lot of burial grounds that have been built on top of, whether it's houses, housing developments, businesses. And typically, a lot of times, people who find out that their house was built on top of a Native American burial ground, they typically have a reason and understanding why they're experiencing paranormal activity in their home. Sometimes it's minor. And sometimes it's violent, but it also depends on what happened there. I mean, sometimes it's not a burial ground, but there was a Native American battle, maybe in between two tribes and not even, you know, American forces pushing them out. But there was a lot of bloodshed there. And there's a lot of baggage that comes with that residual energies. And a lot of people, you know, they, they think that they have different opinions as to how all this works. And, and so do I. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I, I don't know how all this works. All I know is that there are people experiencing this stuff. My show is all about people sharing their per personal paranormal experiences with the other side of life, whether it's Bigfoot, Dogman, ghosts, UFOs, abductions. And out of talking to all these people, I have no idea. <laughs> I have none. Uh, because p the way I look at it is people, they come on the show and they share what they experienced through the worldview lenses that they, they view the world in. And so if you have like an atheist and a priest in the same room, they experience the same thing. They're going to describe it very differently. And so it, when it comes to that kind of stuff and the, 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 the Native American stuff, people have these experiences and some of them will say, my house is haunted by a demon. Some will say that it's haunted by residual energy. Some say it's a ghost of a, of a Native American. There's a lot of different ways of viewing this stuff. But one thing's for sure is people are experiencing stuff. And when it comes to the locations of geographical areas, it seems like there are certain areas that have more experiences than other. I, I just had, for, for instance, this is actually, uh, I just this past Friday, me and my brother went to the Michaud State Forest in Pennsylvania. And the Michaud State Forest is known for a lot of Bigfoot activity and sightings, dogman, and just general hauntings. There's a place like four miles away from where we were that's called a Dead Woman's Hollow. We go out to this place, not for Bigfoot, not for dogman, I found an old World War II prisoner of war camp that was there where they interrogated Nazis and Japanese soldiers. I'm looking on the internet trying to find how did Americans treat the, their POWs during World War II. I'm trying to find a juicy storyline to go with like, yeah, they, they hung them or they tortured them, you know, all this stuff. And 
you know, it, part of it is I have access to American internet, you know, so I may not, I may not have the most accurate view of the history of what actually happened, but according to what I read, we didn't treat our soldiers, the POWs that bad. The Japanese were known for torturing, so were the Nazis, but supposedly we didn't treat people that badly. I'm like, dang, man, like I need a, I need a juicier story to go to this place. I actually stumbled across an article that did talk about how in the interrogation camps like this one, now apparently almost every state had uh, POW camps, but not every state had an interrogation camp. And in these interrogation camps, if a Nazi soldier was interrogated, went back to their cell where they were housed with other Nazis, and the, the group of Nazis thought that that person was a little too forthcoming or friendly, they would kill their own. Their own. So it was like Nazi on Nazi crime going on. It's like, that's the angle I can go with. So I go, and him and I, we got there late. We got there at 1030 at night. We didn't get a chance to set up camp. So we're like, you know, let's just jump into this. So we're going into the woods at this POW camp deep into the woods. And we're walking around and we had some noises popping up. And it was kind of like a little eerie, but nothing too crazy. Then <laughs> it starts raining. And so I forgot the raincoats for the cameras in the truck. So we, we run back to the truck. But there was no rain on the weather report. So we decided to wait it out. We, about an hour later, we go back out. That's when we're following this game trail and it was probably about the, the, the grass was so high. I can't even call it grass. It's like these weeds. I'm six feet tall and they're about a foot or two higher than me. So we're walking this like narrow game trail and we have no idea if there's anything on the other side of the, 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 the grass that we're walking through and, you know, forget Bigfoot dog, man, ghosts. Pennsylvania has mountain lion and, and they say there's no mountain lion, but I've talked to way too many people who have them on game cams to say that there's no mountain lion in Pennsylvania. So I'm, I'm more worried about that at this point. I'm just like, I'm a little nervous. So like my brother's behind me and he's filming with the night vision. And so we, we get to this point and we were walking for a while where the game trail kind of ends and it opens up in this flat area. And I'm not going to go walking through the woods without even a trail. So that was the end of the road there. So we, we get out the K2 meter, which uh, reads EMF fields. And I turn it on just to see if it, the meter starts spiking. And the way I do it, I, I don't, I don't really turn it on and be like, is there a spirit here? Come talk to me. Show yourself by making this light up. I'm like, if it's here, the thing's going to light up. So I get it out. I turn my camera off and my light. And so the only thing running is my brother's. He has a night vision camera. The IR lights are on. And he's about six to seven, eight feet away from me. And I hold out the K2 meter and it just starts hitting, bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. I take the meter and I put it against my camera to show that it's not reading any energy off my camera. It, it's just going off. And so we're sitting there, we're, we're standing there, we're like, man, like th this is kind of crazy. You know, my assumptions are maybe possibly correct. And I'm telling you, man, in this moment, my camera's off and off in the distance, I've heard, I heard what I've heard for years on my show. People send me audio. I heard a classic Bigfoot scream and it was far off in the distance, but it carried out real long and then it dropped off hard and either something responded back or it was the same one with another yell that was a little weaker. And my eyes just popped out of my head because I, I had never heard this kind of stuff. I've never seen anything, you know, and I just hear about it on my show and I knew exactly what it was. My brother doesn't believe in any of this stuff. His face was like, holy crap. So we're like, we got this on audio. I'm so excited to listen to it. And it turns out we didn't get it on audio because 
like earlier that night when we decided to go back out the second time, we got out of the truck and my brother Jack put his camera on my, the hood of my truck. And when he got in the truck, the camera shook and it fell off onto the ground. And I looked at the camera and it looked fine. It was still filming everything, but we didn't see because it was dark out. The camera, the microphone cord going to the camera snapped. And so we didn't have any audio. And it just happened to be at the time where I turned off my camera for this K2 reading. I was so depressed. I mean, that's another example, though, of, you know, a location that I, I went to just because there's a lot of history, dark history there. I wanted to see what we, we get. And the funny thing was, after World War II ended, that, that location was sold to a church and it became a kid's church camp. And I'm just like, wow, that's ironic. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. It used to house Nazi on Nazi crime. And now it's a, uh, it's a kid's camp. Everybody wins. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the camp went until about the 19 early 1970s and then it closed down. It's just been rotting away since, man, I, I tell you, that was a fun place. I'm going to be definitely going back because it, you know, because no, experienced. let me ask you, because you sort of had almost the perfect experience there, at least in my mind. I've always seen this example, right? You have yourself, someone who's not, I wouldn't use the term believer so much to categorize you because you've talked to so many witnesses that it's like, it's a logical decision for you at this point. But then you mentioned your brother who, like you said, doesn't believe in anything, right? So you have two different mindsets, one person who might be expecting certain things, one person who might be expecting an opposite set of things. And then you have this unknown, you know, event, right? The microphone cord snapping, which to me almost facilitates that otherworldly experience because it's like, okay, the recording devices are broken. Yeah. Now we can start to mess with them. It's like these otherworldly beings, however you want to label them, almost are in tune enough to know when we're recording them. And I think, you know, the other side of what I'm pointing out is like, how does positive intention or intention in general play into these experiences? Because I think fear oftentimes, like you, you know, you mentioned at the beginning here, uh, your friend in Kentucky there, he's too scared to even let you camp there, right? It's at the point where he's afraid for other people. So to me, that almost, I wonder if somebody didn't know at all and came in with a totally blank slate, how they would respond to an area like that, that has such a charge, you know, without that mental aspect prepping, you know, so you said some really great things there. So I would say, let's go with the intent first. Before I started podcasting, I was in the woods almost every weekend looking for this Bigfoot. Cause I was like, man, like I have all these reports in Pennsylvania. I just want to have, I just want to find a footprint, something, you know, I'd never had any experience. And I just started going back out in the woods recently. I mean, this was the first time I went back in the woods to do something like this in years. And I had something happen like this. And an intent is a very interesting thought because I'm sitting here when you're talking about it, I'm thinking to myself, did my intent change? Maybe my intent has changed. Maybe my mind, I know I've changed. I've changed a lot. When I first started the podcast, I had a certain viewpoint on a lot of things that has been either shattered or I've just altered my, my view on things because of you, you can only hear so many things, you know, on the show repeatedly until you start saying there's something going on here. You know, you have to, it forces you to adjust your thinking and think, okay, 
if this is true and my view doesn't line up with this, then where is the, the middle ground here? I mean, I don't want to just go from one extreme to the other, but I do not want to be riding this lane if this lane goes nowhere. And according to what these people are telling me they experienced, if I keep riding this lane, it's a dead end. And I, and I, I don't want that. So my intent, maybe it did change over the years. When I was going out there before, I wasn't filming for a YouTube show. I wasn't doing a whole lot of content creation at all. And now I am. So I'm going out there trying to create a content for people on the YouTube channel. You would think if there's an intelligence behind it, almost it'd be the reverse effect where because I'm filming for something like that, if they don't want to be seen or known, I don't know. But it's a very interesting thing. Now, with the idea of that, the para, the para knowing, you know, like it's like, is there something that can sense or knows or even maybe causes equipment to malfunction for you to have that experience? And, and, and you're not the person, the first person to bring that up to me since this happened. I talked to a guy who researches the exact area I was at and I, I talked to him the next day and he, he, t he basically alluded to that with that. He's like, I don't want to sound too woo. I'm like, dude, just hit it, hit, hit me with it. Cause I know where you're going with it. And I've been thinking the same thing. He's like, maybe that camera falling was almost caused by something that didn't want things to happen that night as in filming or catching on audio. And, and it, I know it sounds far out there, but I can tell you from, I've talked to so many people when it comes to Bigfoot, to ghosts, dogman, all these different topics and categories, a very common thing that happens a lot of times in these, th these subject matters is people that maybe are researching or they have, they, they, they pull out their camera phone to, to film UFOs in the sky. And it's just a big blur. Like their phone just can't focus in. It, they have audio malfunctions, all this stuff. And it becomes such a common narrative that it leaves people feeling like it are, are these beings or whatever they are causing the malfunction. I mean, you see that in ghost hunting. People say that their batteries on their phone, their phones get drained, the flashlights get drained, their camera batteries get drained, and they're not able to actually film what they're experiencing. And so the fact that I've never experienced anything, I go out there and my brother there's this fluke incident where, you know, he, he, both our cameras were on the hood of the truck. I put mine after his, my camera was the most top heavy and it didn't fall, but his fell the camera to the mic cord snaps. We don't notice it. We go into the woods and we, we, as soon as we, th I'm telling you this experience where we heard this happened within a minute or two after I turned my camera off and his camera audio isn't working. I'm like, what are the odds of the hours that we were out there, the time that I actually turned my camera off, his is running with a broken mic that we don't know, that's when this thing sounds off. And it's just like, I can easily say that it was coincidence because it's very easy to say that. But when you just take that idea and you put it in with all the other stories of people's experiences where their, their equipment malfunctions before they have an experience, then I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to say that's the case because it just looking at it on the surface seems very coincidental. It just happened. But man, like I, I'm telling you, man, I was so depressed when that happened. I was like, like we were sitting in the truck, just like staring off into a black forest. We're just like the, the whole trip's ruined, you know, like we're, we're like, cause 
I mean, I've been, I've been in these environments before. I've looked for a long time. I've never had anything happen. And then it finally happens and I don't catch it on audio. Are you kidding me? Like, I don't know if I'm ever going to have that experience again, ever. And it's just like, it's just my, my memory that I have now for the rest of my life and my word. So like when I, when I post this video of Legion of Legends, it's going to be, it would have been a 10 and now it's going to be like a seven because of the audio malfunction. And I'm going to have people commenting, why didn't you have a digital recorder running at all times? Why would you ever turn off your, your camera? You're lying. All this stuff I know I'm going to deal with in the comment sections. It is what it is. That's what happened. And, and it's just, it's crazy, man. This whole, this, whole, this whole topic gets bananas the deeper you dive into it. Right. And it's really bringing to mind this sort of paradigm shift that I've noticed, especially in podcasting, people talking about it. But we're starting to understand that the world is energy, right? And these devices that run with electricity aren't very different from our bodies, which are, have an electric nature to them. And we're just more complicated than maybe the motherboard in our phone or our camera, right? So we have these upper level beings who are maybe rooted more, and this is just my perspective on it, but I'm, I'm curious to know what you have in response. And if you've heard this from any witnesses that there's sort of this upper level of frequency, you know, these beings are rooted in maybe a dimension on this woo-woo level higher than ourselves and maybe are interacting with us in the same way we fall asleep and go into this dream world that we kind of don't have much understanding of our true footprint in that world. These beings are kind of like putting their footprint in our world in a sort of way that we don't understand. And our devices, just by the, tr the nature of electricity, cannot function in the presence of them because it's an electrical experience. You know, it's connecting on that higher vibration of electricity that these lower vibrational third dimensional things don't have the capacity you know it's like when you put too much voltage into any electric device if it doesn't have the capacity to take that voltage it's going to be a malfunction yeah so i listen i i think that again going back to what i said before world views is going to determine how people view this stuff you know some people will say what you just said, described as that is God or gods or, you know, interdimensional beings. And, you know, one thing that and you can go, like a lot of times people have a hard time going down different holes of thought process that maybe veer off course from maybe their, their convictions of how they view the world religiously, theologically. And, and that, that can be a stumbling block for a lot of people, but it, if you, we, we live in a world where, you know, truth is, it's whatever the, the overlords want to say is true. But, you know, there, there's a really famous clip that came out years ago, and I believe it was on the Chelsea Handler show, where I think she was talking to Edward Monet, who's a, a physicist. And she brought up the idea of Stranger Things on Netflix and how, you know, that's not r true, right? And he, he says, well, actually we do dabble in parallel universes. And now this is a scientist saying that we reach into parallel universes. And so if, if we're reaching into parallel universes intentionally through science or whatever you want to call it, 
then who's to say the parallel universe can't reach back? And who's to say that that door, what that doorway is? If we have a doorway to reach into that parallel universe, well, that's the doorway that we designed to do such things. But on the other side, maybe there's a different type of door that they use. And maybe those doors are dreams. And so people who go into these dream states, lucid dreaming, and, and like I'm the kind of person, I don't remember my dreams unless it's a really bad dream. I remember like four or five dreams my entire life. They're all like leaving me with this icky, evil feeling. And, but there's a lot of people who remember all their dreams and it's very real. And, and it makes you wonder, what is this dream state? Because I got a friend, he has a YouTube channel, Mr. X Dreams. And he really focuses in on the dream state and he has his own experiences and he's taught himself how to maneuver in these dreams. And he talks about it with his people that listen to him. And he came on my show and he shared this one story that really kind of blew my mind. And again, with everything that all this stuff is, people sharing experiences it's not my job. It's not your job. It's not Mr. X Dream's job to convince the audience that this stuff is real. We're just relaying stories to people, letting them make a decision. Here's a, here's a great idea for everybody. Think for yourself and decide for yourself what you want to believe. And so he comes on the show and he says that he recalled a dream once where he was uh, talking. He, it was this whole elaborate dream. There's people around him and the dream was ending and he was actually leaving the dream. And as he was leaving the dream, he sees his sister and like there was some kind of like maybe physical body language of acknowledging each other. And then he exits the dream. And the next time he actually sees his sister on this side of reality, they're talking. She had the same dream and recalled seeing him in the dream and recalled everything from her perspective in that dream. And so their consciousness connected in this dream state. So it makes you think. Okay, is it our physical brain in our head that has this ability to connect with other people's brains telepathically while they're sleeping? Or are we, is our consciousness going somewhere else while we sleep into another dimension where there's a whole other life to, 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 to live and exist in? And we remember fragments of it when we wake up in this reality. And, and, and so it's just, it's, it's a really interesting thing that I've been kind of like going into with the dream stuff. And as somebody who doesn't remember his dreams, it sucks. Like, I, I'm like, Man, like I, I want to have some of these experiences, man. But um, he tells me that I should keep a dream journal. I'm like I don't remember my dreams, and he's just like anything you remember, just wake up and and, and write it down. And you know, maybe I'll get around to it. But I'm pretty busy, but I, I'll leave the dream expert stuff to him. But uh, it, it's this idea though that of other beings, whether it's us in other universes or parallel universes when we're sleeping and in another men mental dimension, or it's other beings reaching into our dimension through dreams or in reality when we're experiencing the paranormal. And so, you know, like, like for instance, like I was raised in a Christian home. I, I am myself. And one of the things that really gets hung up on a lot of this stuff in the Christian community is this, this, this whole Godhead entity and everything that they're taught to think and stuff. And, you know, it's funny because I've learned so much from this one guy, his name's Dr. Michael Heiser. And he's a world-renowned theologian, and he's extremely well sought after. He knows nine dead languages. Like he's the, he's the guy that if you need a manuscript from the Bible interpreted, he's your guy. Like he knows he knows it all. Uh, he's been hired by the biggest 
religious corporations to do such things. And so like he literally knows the Hebrew that these things were written in. And he, he talks about how there's this one passage, Psalm 82. And in the very first verse or two, it says that God held judgment among the other gods. And in the traditional Christian theology, they believe in monotheism, not polytheism. It's only one God. There is no other God. There's only one. And, he's, and Heiser points out that in your own Bible, it says that Elohim held judgment among the Elohim. He said there is no way of interpreting that other than the fact that God, the Godhead, held judgment among other gods, pointing to the fact that maybe we don't we don't know, and I and I, I don't want to say this matter of factly, but is it possible? And I would say yes because you know in the Christian perspective, it, God, if God is who He says He is, then He should be able to do anything He wants to do, and so maybe did God not just create these angels, but also created other God heads to carry out his will? And did those God heads go astray? Well, we talk, we, we see what happened in, in Genesis six, when you talk about Nephilim giants and fallen angels and things like that, there clearly, there was something that happened that things went astray, but did these God heads go astray as well, that he had to hold judgment among them. And so Heiser points all this stuff out and you know, it traditionally, you know, the American Christian is just like, no, it's impossible. I'm like, well, actually, it says it in your Bible, so you might want to pay attention to it. But it just kind of gives this idea of there's other beings that, that are, are in existence, whether you're a Christian, you're an atheist, but you're experiencing things. You have to open your mind to the, to the reality and the possibility that this reality that we experience right now as, we, as we're talking is not the be, be all and end all of reality. There is more to this than we could fathom. And it's really uncomfortable for, I think, a lot of people to, to, to go down because it's like, again, like I said in the beginning, it, when you're going down a certain path mentally of how you view the world and you experience something and you learn something that forces you to say, if this is true, then I need to readjust my lane or just deny I ever heard that and continue going down this path. And so, it, and I'm glad you say that because I'm over here thinking, you know, I remember reading Ripley's Believe It or Not in like elementary school, you know, so I've loved this stuff for a long time and seeing, you know, the classic eyewitness on television, you can see there's a lot of shame, a lot of like secrecy of not wanting their community, their immediate community to know that they've experienced something like this because it's so in a different lane that they're afraid that maybe they'll be exiles from their community. I mean, is this, you think, a, a byproduct of worldview and perspective more than the encounter itself? Because the encounter is so out of this world that they're like, wow, okay, if this is true, <laughs> there's no denying it for me. So I have to keep it a secret because if I reveal it, then, you know, everyone will know and there's nothing I can do to change it because it happened, you know, and they'll just think I'm crazy. <laughs> hence the name of my show. And, you know, and maybe that would lead to that classic, like, Oh, you know, exiled from the community, which is a very strong reinforcing dynamic of society at large, not just Christians. It's all, you know, religions that have this dynamic of like, well, you have to think within this paradigm. Yeah, you know, excommunication of a community is a very scary thing for people. 
a lot of people that tune into your show, my shows, they've, they've gotten typically comfortable with the idea that, you know, they view things differently and ho- hopefully they at least have gotten to the point if they're, if they're not there already, they're getting to the point where, you know, they're not really concerned about other people's perspectives. They, they know what they've experienced and, and that's that. But the idea of losing friendships, losing family members, losing a job maybe over an experience that somebody had that in their mind, they can't deny it happened. But they, listen, it's like creating a personal hell for people to, to have something like this and keep it bottled in and not be able to share it with anybody, which is part of the reason why I even started the show. But I mean, I was in those, the same situation before I even started podcasting in, in a sense, I was, I was very much involved in the topic of Bigfoot and I was online. People on Facebook knew who I was. I was running Facebook groups. I, I was, I never had an experience. I always told people I never had experience, but I was very much a thinker in it and, you know, consuming people's experiences and consuming how people view these, the, these things and what they're capable of. I, I'm thinking out loud for people and helping to facilitate conversation. So I, I created this like environment online that was not my everyday life. Like I had some friends that knew that I liked hiking but they had no idea why I was hiking. They knew that I, they, 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 they would tell me, you know, be careful when you're going a mile, two, three miles off trail, dude. They didn't know that I, they, they thought I was just ignorant. I wasn't ignorant. I was doing it on purpose for a reason. And so I kept it all to myself though, because of fear of excommunication, you know, of my social group. And, and what happened for me was I, I used to drive truck for a living and I, I got back to my terminal one night and one of the guys that work now, this guy, he is, everybody has somebody in their life that if there's one person that you would never tell a secret to, it's this person, that's this guy at work. Like nobody's going to tell him something secretive because he won't keep it a secret. I got out of my truck and we're walking in and I said to him, Hey man, how you doing? We're talking. And he's like, yo, I said, what's up? He's like, you believe in Bigfoot? And I was like, how, how did you find that out? What, what, what are you talking? Where? I know what I said to him was, Jay, where did you hear that? You know, because I was like, I was like, I need to know where you found this out because I was trying to keep it all quiet. And he's like, I don't know. I saw it on Facebook or something. I'm like, that's not true because I didn't post about it on Facebook publicly. But anyways, I asked him, I said, Jay, please don't tell anybody this. Just keep it quiet. And he's like, I can't promise that. And within like a week, everybody at the terminal knew what what my, my, my hobbies were and stuff. And at that point I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to talk about it. And so at that point, I figured my, my friends and stuff, I, I just started telling them, you know, Hey, I'm interested. And I remember the one, my one friend was over at my house and uh, I was like, Hey man, listen, I got to talk to you about something. You know, it was like this, it was like this, like this, this weird moment where I like, like it was, you would think that I'm about to say I have a drug problem, something like that. And we're talking, he's like, okay. And I think we're watching like basketball or something on my TV. And I just said, I'm really into Bigfoot. And he's like, he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, here, let me show you. And I went down to my basement and I pulled out all these casts that I've collected over the years from other people. And, and I'm like, look, I believe in Bigfoot. And these are real casts from people that, that have collected them all over the country. And he just started laughing. And, he, and he's like, he's like, you really believe in Bigfoot? I was like, yeah, man, I do. And he's like, because he, because he could sense that I thought I was going to, he was going to direct me. He's like, listen, I don't, I don't believe in Bigfoot, but I don't care what you believe in. But I've had other friends who they kind of stopped talking to me once I told them, you know, and it's, there's that real fear of, of rejection when it comes to this stuff. So a lot of people wind up just keeping it inside and never telling anybody. I mean, I have, there are people who contact me 
and say, I am trying my hardest to get my mom, my dad, my grandfather on your show to tell you this story. And they tell me like what it's about. And I'm like, please get them on my show. And it never happens because they don't want to talk about it. You know, sometimes it's fear of if they, if it, some people fear that if they talk about something, it's going to create the energy and it's going to start up again. Uh, and some people fear that I'm not talking about this because I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to be looked like I'm crazy. You know, they don't know, but people who listen to the show know that I don't care. I don't care what you believe. I don't care what you experience. I don't care how you view your experience. You had an experience. Let's talk about it. I don't need to agree with you on how the, you know, if the earth is flat or not to, to listen to you and talk to you about your paranormal experiences. And you know, that's the way the world's going these days though. I mean, if you don't agree with me on everything that I think we can't be friends, you know, it's just like, it's so weird, man. Right. And I will say, you know, I'm not a flat earther. People know that, but I've had them on the show and I'm friends with someone who is, and we still talk. So I certainly think everybody can find middle ground, but it's, it's definitely, you know, something I've experienced being too transparent or too honest about my interests. You see like, oh, people are like, hmm, oh, okay. Well, you know, they have all these assumptions like, well, if this guy believes this about JFK and 9-11, then he must not be a savory character. I better <laughs> find another friend. And to me, maybe that's always been like kind of, I've been used to that in a way. And then, you know, kind of owning it brought a lot of freedom. And I think creating this podcast was part of owning it, you know? So I, you know, I resonate with your story because you were like at a point where you're like, you know what, I'm just going to own it. And then that interest, that acceptance that you had, you know, became this awesome YouTube channel, which then became a even better, amazing podcast. You know, you're collecting all of these experiences. I'm curious to know, you mentioned you have a, a collection of casts. What's the, the largest Bigfoot Footcasts you have? I haven't. They're they're stored away. Right. I used to have them all like in my office and everything. And now it's just like I need to have other things in my office other than mm-hmm. big footcasts. But the the largest I have, I think it's seventeen or eighteen inches long and about eight 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 to nine inches wide. And it was it was found in Washington State. I I can't remember the location, but it's a famous. It's a famous a cast that I, I bought from the guy who casted it. His son had like a mold and he would make copies of it and, and sell them. And I was fortunate to buy one of the first molds of it. It's very accurate to the, the actual cast. And what it is that makes it so unique is that the toe marks on this cast have dermal ridges. So like the, the fingerprints of the toe are imprinted on this cast. And so scientists have looked at this cast up and down and they're, they're like, whatever made this, it's real because you can't fake dermal ridges. And and that's been said by many different scientists. And uh, that's why I fell in love with this cast because it it just kind of pointed to the idea that this isn't somebody with wooden feet walking around the woods, hoping somebody finds it. Like this was so intricate that there is no way to possibly fake it. And, and so there was that one. And then I, I've had small ones that were sent to me from, I forget what island it is, but it's like a big look, Bigfoot type creature on this one island that I had. And then I actually wound up giving that to a little kid at a show that I was doing. I was speaking at an event and he was just looking at it and staring at it. And I was just like, you want it, man? And he took it and I made his day, you know, it made me happy. And, you know, it didn't cost me anything. It was given to me, but yeah, that was probably the, the, but I have, I have, um, 
I have hair samples that were collected that are supposedly Bigfoot hair, but I don't think it would ever come up in a DNA test because it's been poorly handled. So, but I mean, I have it because I'm like, that's pretty, pretty freaking cool. Who freaking collect? I'm not collecting a uh, stool sample. So, okay. I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not putting Bigfoot poop in my freezer. So yeah, but uh, I respect that decision. I would say, you know, one of the things that fascinates me the most, the footprints certainly, but the structures that you hear sasquatch leave behind have you heard much of that in uh, your many interviews like certain like ways that trees are bent or you know pieces of wood that are kind of arranged in a way where you're like wow those are really heavy how did they fall on top of each other like that yeah so the the burnt the bent trees is something a lot of people talk about and one thing i do tell people though is, is you know education is key in this stuff and so I've had people over the years send me pictures of trees that were clearly shaped funny and that people would suggest that it's Bigfoot. And one, like there's, there's certain laws of physics. I, 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 I don't know, but like you, you can't just take a full grown tree and bend it and twist it certain ways and not expect it to break and just say it's Bigfoot. There might be something else going on there. And sometimes there is like native Americans back in the day, what they would do is they would take a young tree and they would bend it and tie it down and let it grow on an angle, like a 90 degree angle. Then they would release it and let it grow up. And these were markers that they made so that, you know, other tribes knew we're over here, you're over there or waters this way or things like that. And so people send me pictures of those and they say, is this Bigfoot? I'm like, no, it's actually even cooler. What you're, what you found is uh, a piece of history that doesn't even exist anymore. Like most of the trees are cut down. We've been, Pennsylvania was clear cut. And so it, it, it I get, I get excited about that kind of stuff. But when it comes to the tree structures, a lot of times people talk about these TP structures. And I, I forgot to mention this at the beginning when I, about my experiences, I did see one of those in Pennsylvania out near the Harrisburg area. A guy had called me and talked to me, and this is before the podcast and brought me, my wife and another guy out. And he took us through the woods where he had a Bigfoot experience. And then he wanted to show us this structure. And when I came up to the structure, I mean, it was way more than I thought it would be. I mean, I was thinking, okay, you know, might be like, you know, something six feet high or whatever. This thing reached at, at certain pieces of it reached, you know, 40 feet in the air. It was absolutely huge. And every piece of it was like a broken tree. Nothing was chopped. It was like something took trees, broke them off and brought them there. And some of these pieces were literally trees themselves extending 20, 30, 40 feet into the sky. And it was huge. I mean, it was easily able, I, I'm six feet tall. I was easily able to walk in there and have plenty of room. Now I can't say it was Bigfoot, but I can say whatever made that didn't use any tools. Whoever made that didn't chop anything down. It was literally broken trees. And then when we were walking this path, after we, you know, hung out there for a little bit, we were walking this path and I almost ran into the guy that was leading us because he stopped dead in his track and he's looking at the ground. He's like, what is that? I look and at first I didn't see anything because the ground is real hard. It was a, it was a trail. And then I see what he's talking about. There was a footprint there. So I guess I have found a footprint, but I haven't found the awesome one where it's like perfectly defined and stuff, but there was a footprint there and there were toe marks and I could actually put my finger into the toe marks and feel it. And uh, it, again, it was on a hard trail, so I couldn't really cast it real good. We tried and it just turned out awful. Yeah, man, like that, that was actually a trip I forgot about until just now. But yeah, we, we, there's, there's, the tree structure stuff. Utah is very well known for these tree structures. You know, people finding not only the teepees, but like these 
gigantic wooden the tree circles that are made almost like they theorize that it's almost like a playpen where like Bigfoot would maybe would put their babies inside to kind of contain them. But it, it, it just, it seems illogical as to why anybody would want to make something like this. There's no, we don't, we don't know what, what the use of it would be for, but yeah, the, the tree structures is something that in the Bigfoot world, people can live or, or live with it or go without it. I mean, you know, some people are like, you know, Bigfoot doesn't make tree structures. That's silly. And it's like, well, I mean, we're talking about a giant hairy monster that in the woods that we can't seem to keep up with. And, you know, we can't even get a clear video half the time of it. So I, I, I'm hesitant to say that Bigfoot does or doesn't do anything because we don't freaking know. So, but yeah, the, the tree structures are definitely something interesting for sure. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. I, I was just in Lancaster, as I told you, after we went to Philly, we stopped in Lancaster to visit a friend, Michael Wan, and he told me a little bit about an Amish legend of a creature called an apple witch or an apple twitch. Have you heard any stories about this creature? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's also called oh, something witch. I forget. I, now I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but they have like a festival every year for this thing. And, and I don't know much about it, but it's something that is, is very specific to the Lancaster area that, that area it, it, to the point that they have a festival festival for it, but outside that area, it's not really well known, but it, it is, it's, it, it's supposedly some kind of Bigfoot like creature, not Bigfoot though. It's not nearly big enough, but it, it's, it's some kind of creature that I guess by the name, it, it steals apples and things like that. But you know, even with Bigfoot, I mean, people have tried feeding these things several stuff. I mean, there's a guy, Todd Standing, and he's a hotly debated person in the Bigfoot world. People, they think he's a hoaxer and all that stuff, but he does have a documentary on Netflix. And on the documentary, he films something on video stealing apples that he set out. And he also filmed things like a giant hairy back that was standing behind a tree and things there. It's either he's, he's lying or it's legit. There's no gray area. And, uh, but yeah, he, I remember him, him having the apples stolen, which kind of go hand in hand. And it's just like a lot of these different things. I mean, people have these experiences and it may not be the same topic, but the experiences are very similar. Like the dog, man. I mean, like, like just given the fact that these creatures are supposedly living in the woods, like Bigfoot, that you don't get a whole lot of reports of the, these things, you know, crossing paths. You don't not know. There's not a whole lot of witnesses of. Bigfoot dogman wars. I would love to hear those if there are any, but the dogman is another, you know, cryptid that is roaming around out there. Now it seems like the dogman is on another level. I mean, terrifying. You don't want to come across it. There is no chance of catching it on a good day where it's going to hold your hand kind of thing, you know, which Bigfoot, there's a lot of people that want to skip through a forest with Bigfoot and they just think it's just, you know, happy go lucky. And, you know, I don't doubt that people have positive experiences when they, with these things, but in general, I'll, I'll take a hard pass at trying to build a relationship with these things in the woods. I, I had a lady on the show once though. Actually, there, there's, this is an interesting angle. Two times on the show, and I think actually a third time that hasn't aired yet, I've had people talk about a dog man as a child, like they, they were children, having a dog man experience and it wasn't terrifying. In fact, it was almost like they found a dog that could be a pet. And this one, this one woman, I mean, it was like this thing came up to her as a kid and it just kind of like stared at her and, and almost was like, you almost got a vibe of, you know, it was like a good kid, you know, wanted to pat her on the head or something, you know, 
And, but that's only, but it was only with kids three times now I've heard where as a child, it was a positive experience. So the one guy that hasn't aired yet, he and his friend, his friend took him to an old house in the middle of the woods when he was a kid. And he said he had a friend there that he wanted to meet. And so they get to the house and as they're approaching, he, he said that his friend told him that, oh, good, he's home. And so they go and they're, they're young kids. And there's, he said there's like all these like dog toys all over the, the front porch of this like house in the middle of the woods. And he peers into the window and he said it was this gigantic dog. And, it, and he said that what he thinks as an adult is that his friend somehow had a relationship with this thing, was bringing it toys and things like that. And he thought it was just his friend. But it, it, he said, I don't know what else to describe it as other than a dog, man. It was huge. And I think he even might have described it as standing on its hind legs. But, you know, so I don't know. It's just a weird thing. I don't know how I even got down that path. I just kind of go sometimes. No, I'm glad <laughs> you did. I'm a little frightened right now at the picture you just laid out and that I'm visualizing. But I bring up the Apple Twitch because something that's always fascinated me is the different cultures takes on these otherworldly beings it doesn't seem to really matter that there's all these different names the fact is is that people in many different cultures across the world have these experiences in strange places with strange creatures and and often you know the names are different but the experiences are very similar and the dog man i mean that is something that's really new to me but like I said, kind of frightening. I mean, obviously people probably are thinking of werewolves, but it doesn't seem yeah. to be that way. I mean, it, it seems to be more of like a, like a, like to me, from what I've heard, it seems more like a spirit, you know, or like something demonic, but maybe that's just my perspective. Well, I, I would say that, you know, people, cause when I first heard about the dog man years ago, I, I, I was like, you mean a werewolf? And they're like, no, this is totally different. But over the years of me hearing about this creature, I still have not found a reason to believe that it's not a werewolf. I'm not saying it is a werewolf, but I'm saying it like we're talking about two legends, upright walking dogs. And it, most situations that I've heard, nobody's ever heard, uh, seen the dog man transforming from a, from, from a human to a dog. But we haven't also really seen a, what you would call a werewolf trans, transitioning either. And so are we, are we talking about the same thing? Are they two separate things? I don't know. But it's, 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 really, it's really interesting. And there's something else I was going to say you, you brought up that I forget now. But yeah. Different I, cultures takes on uh, cryptids. Is that maybe what, how, how all these know. different. That's all right. Fine but, now. <laughs> yeah, no. And I mean, yeah, Dogman, certainly something that, I think is, is bound to be looked into deeper. It's pretty oh. new to me. I don't know like how, what, the, what the historical precedence is. There is a story though, that's local to Connecticut. I don't know if you've heard this, but in the hanging Hills of Meriden, Connecticut, there's a story of a black dog. That's sort of like a ghostly figure that will lead you potentially towards the cliffs or something or other. I don't remember the details of the folktale and, and what happened to the first guy who met his end with the black dog. But there is a, a story locally and the mountains themselves are pretty interesting. There's only 
you know, a couple of mountains like this in Connecticut, they're like red rock and they just jut right up and you can see them from far away in this big bare cliff face. And it's really unique. It's, it's definitely an energy. And then there's castles built at the top of like three of these different mountains, uh, castle Craig. And there's like one in Wilson castle. What's that? Have you heard of Wilson castle? No, that's in Vermont. And I might be taking a crew of people up there to spend the night in this, this castle that's supposed to be haunted. But from what I understand, it's a legit castle that's haunted and it's been there for a very long time. And I don't know much about it yet, but one of the people who might be coming with on this trip, he, he said like that this castle's haunting is like on steroids type of haunting. It's like on another level. And I'm like, I'm down, you know, like, let's, let's go, you know, is this a castle in the wood, wooded area, wooded area. I know it's in Vermont and my, my brother-in-law found it because my brother-in-law is organizing all the trips because like, we, we started doing trips where we, we open it up and we sell seats on a, on a bus and we take listeners to places and do overnights with them. And my brother-in-law found this and he's like, what do you, what do you think? Do you think the listeners would, would like to do this castle? And I was like. Well, one way to find out, and I did an Instagram poll, would they, would they rather do the Wilson Castle or I forget what other, it was a famous like murder haunted house thing. And, and there, like it was overwhelmingly the castle. I was like, I guess we're going to the castle. And, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Now, uh, just, I remember the dog man thing you mentioned about it, you know, is it possibly a demon? That's something that people bring up a lot that like when they have these experience with these things, it, they're completely evil, like straight up evil. And what's interesting is over time you hear people share experiences. I've had it on my show. I've, I've heard it on other people's shows that people like, for instance, the very first time I heard it was on another, another show. And there was a caller that called into the show and the guy just wanted to share this with the host. And he said, I don't know how long ago it was, but him and his wife had a really bad argument and they went to bed angry. And he said that we, always had a rule that we don't go to bed angry. We try to make things up, make up and stuff before we go to sleep. And that night they lay down in bed. They're ticked off at each other. They don't want to talk to each other, just trying to go to sleep. And he looks at the bottom of his bed and he sees these red shapes forming on the wall at the bottom of the bed, just like these different shapes floating around on the wall. And he said to her, he said, are you seeing this? And she said, yeah, I'm seeing this. And so they're kind of stunned. And he said something inside of him told him he needed to look to his left. And so he's laying in his bed on his back and he looks to his left. And when he looks to his left, he sees a huge dog standing on its four feet, growling at him in his room. And he said, I think he even said it had red eyes. And I've heard this a lot where these demonic dog entities are popping up in people's homes, specifically their bedrooms at night. And then you hear the dog man experiences and there's not a whole lot of difference other than the ones that are popping up in the home typically are on four legs. The ones that are popping up in the woods are on their hind legs a lot, except for the story that took is taking me to Kentucky. The guy who had his experience when I don't even think I told that story. He he's going to Kentucky or I'm going to Kentucky because this guy, when he was 15 years old, about 15, 20 years ago now, he went out raccoon hunting with his grandfather. That's what they did. They had, they had dogs, they had hounds that hunted the raccoons. His grandfather was in bad shape, older guy. So he usually stayed at the truck and he would go out and follow the dogs. Well, the dogs got a scent. They took off in the woods. They treated a raccoon and he hears it. And so they're, he's trying to get to the dogs. 
and he hears this, this pack of coyotes coming in and his grandfather got on the radio and he said, you better get to the dogs before the coyotes get there. Cause if you don't get there first, there's going to be a fight. And so he's booking it through the woods and he didn't get there in time. And so there are two dogs, there are two uh, dogs, Jake and Bo wound up fighting a pack of coyotes. Now the dogs were bigger than the coyotes. And, but the one dog, Bo was a very new hunting dog. And he actually, you could hear him. He said, took off for the hills. He ran away. And so Jake is fighting these coyotes and actually the coyotes retreat. And the, they, they, he goes back to treeing the, the raccoon barking and howling. The, the coyotes come back in and there's a fight again. And you could hear that Jake was getting his butt kicked. And then all of a sudden another dog comes back in and is presuming Bo and the fight changes. The coyotes take off and he, he arrives on the scene. So when he arrives on the scene, his dog, Bo is back to barking up the tree. There's a raccoon up there. He comes over, pats him on the bed, you know, pat on his head, make sure the dog's good. And he hears Bo, the other dog on the other side of the tree, chomping down on a coyote. And so it, it, he said it was like a real gurgling, blood gurgling sound. And so he walks around this big tree. And as he walks around the tree, he realizes this isn't Bo at all. He said that there's this dog standing on four legs, so big that it's holding the coyote by its rib cage in its mouth. And it's chomping down on this coyote. He comes around the tree, stops in his track. He's like five feet away from this thing. And it sees him and it stands up on its hind legs. And at that moment, he took off and this thing came off after him. Three times, his dog, Jake, intervened to, to stop this thing from getting my guest, Kyle. And at the last time, like he had fallen over running and this thing is like on top of him, pretty much ready to, to like he, he described it. This was so descriptive. And this is one of the things where you come back, back to just saying either they're completely lying or it happened. He, he said this thing was on top of him to the point where he could actually see down its throat. He could see its throat. He thought he was done because he thought this thing had already killed his dog. And his dog, Jake, for the third time came in broadside this thing and he took off running. And now he hits, he hits like an open clearing and he hears this thing just tearing his dog to pieces. Just it, it, like he knew his dog was done and he's running. He gets back to the truck. He gets in the truck and tells grandfather, just go, just go. And so they take off. His grandfather's like, what's going on? He tells his grandfather what happened. And uh, his grandfather told him, if you're going to hunt these woods and you're going to be a successful hunter, you have to understand that there's things in these woods that you just can't understand. You can't, you can't fathom. And if you can't come to grips with that, you're never going to be a good hunter. And so his grandfather said, we're going to come back tomorrow morning and we're going to look for Jake. And he said to his grandfather, there's no point of coming back to look for Jake. Jake is dead. And he said, if Jake did for you what you say he did, then we owe it to him to come back and look for him. And so the next morning they go up there, they're yelling for him, nothing. They search all morning long. They decide to go back home. And before they left, his grandfather took his coat and put it out on the side of the road so that if Jake was alive and he could smell it, he could come and find the coat. They'd come back later and look for him. So later that night they come back and they're looking, they don't see him. And then they're driving down this road and his grandfather says, look, there's a dog. And he said, it's Bo. And so he said, get your leash and go get Bo and get him in the truck. And so they go, he goes with a leash and he hooks up or goes to hook up the dog to the leash. And as he approaches, he realizes it's not Bo at all. It was Jake. Jake actually survived. And he said, Jake was totally torn up. I mean, his, he said his ears looked like noodles. It was just like completely destroyed. And so they load Jake back into the truck. They take him home. 
grandma was like not a veteran veterinarian like a veterinarian but in the area people brought their animals to her to take care of and uh, she wound up nursing jake back to health and jake actually wound up going back out hunting down the road he was never the same dog again he said like because jake apparently was a legendary dog hunting wise like everybody knew this dog you had that dog on the trail you're good and um he just wasn't the same after that, but he did live a long, healthy life. And then two weeks later, a shop locally found the other dog, Bo, called it in, called the, the number and they got the dog back. But I'd say all that story, which I think was a fun story to tell anyways, because I said about how the, the dogs in the bedrooms are usually standing on all four legs. Well, this dog that he came across out in the woods at first was standing on all four legs. So there's that similarity of, of seeing these creatures on four legs. And he actually saw this thing stand up on its hind legs and pursue him. And so what these things are, I don't know. Now, the, my guest, Kyle, believes that these are natural animals. He, he grew up in Kentucky where he's not the only one who's, as he got older, he found out that these things are being seen in Kentucky. And the old timers, like his grandfather, called them slewfoots. And in an old blues, bluesgrass song, uh, it's called Slewfoot something. They're describing a bear, according to the lyrics, that runs 90 miles an hour, jumps 30 feet, does all these like supernatural things. And so when his grandfather would say Slewfoot as a kid, he thought it was a bear. But it turns out that the lyrics to that song were changed over time. At one time, the bear in the story was a wolf man. And so this legend goes back long ways. To the point where even when he was a kid, he was laying in his grandparents' house, sleeping at night next to a window, and his grandfather picked him up and moved him away from the window. And the next day, he asked his grandfather, Why, why'd you move me last night? And he said, because the slewfoot would reach in and get you. And like, so like, this is a legend that has been ingrained in the Kentucky community and the lore for centuries. And that's why I'm going to go down there and bag it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm gonna try at least uh, so we'll see what happens yeah and i i don't blame you that's so fascinating the sleuth foot i listened like we mentioned at the beginning to the penny royal series and i don't know it was a while ago so i don't remember how much of that they got into but the fascinating meteors then the meat shower and the meat yeah. was not like you know chicken meat or cow meat it was like some kind of meat from outer space or another dimension or not of this world you know and and then you you hear about the slew foot and bringing it back to the indigenous people all over the world but specifically in north america they have many legends you know obviously sasquatch but the slew foot i mean wow that's something that's really new to me i didn't understand the historical precedents behind it but that's the thing it's in everybody's backyard you know i'm up here in new england usually people think haunted houses and things like that but my buddy ron from new england he's investigating sasquatch up in uh, new hampshire you know and he's yeah. done a couple little investigations up there and the the white mountains and really any national park tends to be strange and mysterious and full of these sorts of encounters but to bring it back to your earlier point about the mammoth caves, it's like we don't understand half of what's in the ocean, let alone half of what's underground. So it's not completely far-fetched in my paradigm to see that these things are coming from maybe the hollow earth and they are flesh and blood creatures. But 
Is that the case with most of your witnesses where they're like, no, this was a, a flesh and blood creature or do more people tend to think of things in that spiritual realm, the, the metaphysical realm? So early in the show, it was more physical opinion, but as time got, so when, when I first started the show, my audience is learning who the host is, you know? So people, and that's one thing that people have to understand when, when it comes to just podcasting in general, like when you first start a show, people who, who are tuning in, they don't know who you are. They're learning as they go who you are. And so that's the same thing with me. And when I first started podcasting the back then, you know, almost five years ago, it was overwhelming in the, in the paranormal communities and the cryptic communities that, uh, these things are physical beings. Don't talk about the woo woo stuff because you'll be rejected. We talked about that, you know, the excommunication of these communities. And I'm, I don't, I don't really ride like that. I'm like, let's just talk about it. I don't really care if you think it's physical or spiritual. Let's just talk about it. And then as I, over time started having more people on that had that opinion, overwhelmingly, a lot of times people will suggest that it is some kind of either mixture of paranormal and physical or straight up paranormal spiritual kind of thing. But there are things about like these creatures, whether you're talking about dog, man, Bigfoot, I've heard it with both that are head scratchers. Like people come across tracks, like not just one footprint, a trail of tracks, you know, it like, let's just talk about Bigfoot. It's, you know, 18 inches long, nine inches wide. It's obviously, if it's a human, it's a huge human. And it's walking like a, a riverbed and you can follow, you can follow the tracks. And then all of a sudden the tracks just disappear. They're just gone. And so when you have something like that and you want to try explaining it, it's really hard. Other than there was something physical, physically here, and then it was no longer physically here. And so when you, when you have people, there's, there's people that have properties that they have Bigfoot activity on. And one of the very common things that you get these people when the ones that are willing to talk about it, they'll talk about the Bigfoot activity and stuff, but they'll also talk about in these experiences, how on their property, along with the Bigfoot dog man creatures that they're having experiences with, they talk about these lights that are on their property as well. And how these giant orbs, sometimes they're small orbs, they see them on the property moving almost like they're, they're of a, a of their own mind. And a lot of times people are seeing these lights with these creatures in these interactions. And so it makes you wonder, what are they? There's, there's reports here in Pennsylvania of people having UFO encounters out in the middle of nowhere just to have it followed by a Bigfoot encounter. And it's just like, well, what is going on? Was the Bigfoot as interested in UFO as me? Or is there, are they connected somehow? I don't know. I, I would love to find a, have a, a Bigfoot riding in a UFO one day story. That'd be amazing. I'd love it. You know, like I looked in the porthole and I saw a Bigfoot piloting it. That would be amazing. But I, I don't know. But it, it's interesting how these things do cross the lines. And so when you have, if I, if I had somebody on and they, they didn't mention the Bigfoot part yet, and they're just talking about seeing these orbs and these lights haunting their property, you would think it's a paranormal podcast. It's a, you know, it, it's some kind of like spirit or something like that roaming the lands. That the next question is, you know, is it haunted lands? What's the, the history? Is it Native American or was there a battle there? All that stuff you would start asking. And then all of a sudden they say, and every time I see these lights, it's followed by a Bigfoot encounter. And now it's like, okay, where do we go with this from here? You know? And so it, it's, it's really a, a baffling thing. 
And I, I think diving, the deeper you dive into these topics, the more you just face with the reality that I don't know anything. And I ha if I'm going to dive into these things, I have to just remain open-minded and allow people to share their experiences and accept those experiences for what they were, what they are. Because even if we've heard the story from somebody else a million times, it's a common thing. Everybody's individual experience has little details that might help somebody else connect dots. And that's the way I view what I do. I heard Sam Tripoli once say that he views his podcast as like a search engine for, you know, the, the conspiracies and stuff. That's how I view my show for the paranormal. Like I'm collecting all this data and, you know, over time we accumulate so much where it's like I'm putting a puzzle piece together and everybody has their own little piece of the puzzle to offer. And that's what I hope the listeners are doing as well. They're just kind of piecing puzzles together and, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, I, I don't, I'm not convinced that one day we're ever going to figure it all out. I just don't think that's going to happen as much as the government says they're going to release the UFO files. And I don't know. I, I just, <laughs> I don't think they're going to tell us everything that they know. Yeah, no, and with that whole disclosure joke in, uh, what was it, June or July there, the 25th, where, you know, apparently they were going to fess up and, and give us the real truth. I mean, yeah. I never thought that they would ever be a bastion for that kind of truth or any truth. So, but yeah, it you know, in this realm of extraordinary, one topic that's emerged recently that we've almost skirted around a little bit, you know, we talked about history, we talked about energy. Has Tartaria come across the desk at all? I mean, this whole look into, you know, rewriting history. I mean, obviously with giants, we know the Smithsonian covered up all of these giant skeletons, right? That they were in the mounds. Maybe these are Bigfoot skeletons maybe these are you know nephilim like you mentioned dr michael heiser shows us that there is word of this type of stuff going back to the bible and even further i mean indigenous cultures have records of it but you know giants that's one well-documented side of this but you know as far as the you know hidden history you know has, has that come across your desk at all tartaria and, and the rewriting of it no actually i've i i, I when you said tartaria i had a, I, I just did a search on it because i was like i was like that i haven't i haven't come across it because like a lot of my stuff is a lot of the content i put out is experience-based and so like for instance uh, just to give people an idea of what my schedule looks like between we're recording this in august of 2021 between this month and the end of the year i have about 200 interviews i need to conduct and so like that I'm not a researcher and I, I try, I try to express that to people when I can, I don't, I don't sit and I don't study. I don't research. I'm a recorder. I record experiences and I, we, and that's what I feel like I put my, I, I, my service that I do for these communities is that I, I gather the stories and I let other people connect dots and I connect dots at times too and stuff, but that's kind of my, my gig. Tartaria you got to tell me though, like, what, what are we talking about? Yeah. Well, and maybe that was a, an off question. I shouldn't have uh, gone too far off tangent okay. there, but it's all good. I, yeah, I think when you brought up the, like the piecing together, the puzzle, that's where this kind of came to mind because something that I've been doing with this synchro mystic exploration of the ever expanding now a Patreon show, my girlfriend and I do is is piecing together the puzzle and seeing how your story, your personal story fits into this overall 
larger story that we're still unraveling and Tartaria is one side of it that, you know, goes into architecture and maybe that there was this long lost or recently lost empire that was here in North America that when, you know, Europeans came, they, you know, destroyed whatever was here, repurposed it, and then told us this story of like, this noble savage who was here and had nothing to show for his society other than sticks and, and ropes, you know, but really the, the Tartaria stuff that interests me is like, well, what if these indigenous cultures were part of like Atlantis or some longer lost civilization and they had actual structures? I mean, making bricks is not that hard. They had clay, you know, so it wouldn't be, totally inconceivable that the indigenous people here in America had structures. And I think that's where Tartaria is most fascinating for me. I'm not an expert in it either. As much as I am a researcher, I also like to think of myself as a recorder, recording these sorts of experiences and research from guys like Andreas Exodus or Ari Oslin, who I have had on the show to talk about. Tartaria. But yeah, I just wondered if there was a paranormal connection with that because like the haunted, the haunted houses tend to be, you know, Victorian or have this sort of strange look to them that what people who are doing the Tartaria research say like, okay, this spire on top of the building or on top of the church that conducts electricity, right? So Back to my point earlier about the electric nature of our universe, what if the buildings themselves are conductive to this energy that then facilitates this sort of magnet, magnetic nature that like when someone passes away, their soul sticks into this building because it's like charged up with this energy just by the way it's constructed. Dude, I, listen, I, I think you, you opened up a bag that's really cool because, um, it would give a lot of understanding if, if Tartaria has substance to it, it would give a lot of understanding to some bizarre hauntings people have where it just doesn't make sense. Like, like you, sometimes you have a haunting or a paranormal experience. Let's just say haunting. You, you build a brand new house and it's haunted on land that is not Native American. There was never a battle here. There was just nothing ever to point to the reason why there is paranormal experiences happening here. But if the history has been, let's just for lack of better terms, covered up and there is a whole history geographically of this North American land that we live on that we don't know about because whether it was intentionally covered up or time covered it up, there's, um, well, I know you probably heard about the, I think it's the Mayan ruins that are in Georgia and that is on, on lockdown. Like government has that lockdown. You can't visit it. And so it, there's been people that have much bigger names than me trying to get access to this place. Nope, not happening. So why are you trying to cover that up? Why, why are you trying to hide something like that? Does it point to a history of us and this country that doesn't go with the history books you're manipulating the kids with? I probably would say yes. Then in Texas, there's another place in Texas. I forget the name of it, but it, it, it's like a, I think it's like an 18 mile long wall that's underground. And there has been this one guy who paid to have it, parts of it excavated because he owned the land that was on. And they had scientists come out and scientists were like, oh, this is just natural. And I'm like, natural? Like, like I saw, I've seen the video. I can't remember what it's called. But it does not look natural. It looks intelligently made. Like, literally, the person that was uncovering it, the scientist that, uncovered, that, was, that was there to look at it, 
and he was going to send away the samples to people and all that crap. He was like, this looks man-made, like, this, like, like the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, it was just natural. And then he's like, oh, okay. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not playing that. Like, like you're not going to, you're not going to come in here and tell me that we're seeing things here or we're not seeing certain things. I mean, there's a real history here that has been covered up in, in California. There's a similar type wall that stretches for miles. I, for instance, in, here in Pennsylvania, I, I, I still haven't put this video out. I, I went and I did, I shot the footage. It's just a lot of footage and not, not great with audio or, or video. There's a wall here in Pennsylvania that on Google Maps is called the China Wall. It, it, and it, they, they say that it was formed millions of years ago when the continents shifted, the bedrock of the ocean shot up and created this long wall. I mean, dude, I'm telling you, this wall is at points that I was standing, I climbed it. it. At points, it was like 50 feet, 100 feet high, like just a wall. It looked like, and there, it, was, it was in sections. Like somebody like picked up these giant boulders and stacked them on top of each other. And you can say, like the scientific explanations is that it was a solid wall one time and over millions of years, the weather wore it, wore it down to the point that it was, it, it's now individual pieces. Because there's parts of it that you can, the boulders on top of each other, you can see straight through. Like they're two separate pieces. And there's, there's, there's tons of that kind of stuff all over this country. The pyramids, it, it, like pyramids are not just in Egypt. They're, they're here in this country. And they, the Aztecs, like the, the fact that they don't want to talk about this, even though they're starting to accept it scientifically, nobody wants to talk about the fact that the Aztecs might've made it all the way up to Utah. Like they, there's so much yeah, about the history. There's a, uh, you know, bringing it back to Pennsylvania and my friend has this site that he told me about that has one of the only hieroglyphics from Mayans in this area. It's like basically like what you're saying. There's like Mayan hieroglyphics in the Susquehanna River Valley. And it's, you know, it's definitely pointing to this connection between the people of the indigenous Central America up here. I mean, obviously there was something going on that was much more high frequency than we're told. You know, we're told that there were, like I said before, noble savages roaming around fighting each other, barely organized, but that's not the case. It's very obvious, you know, like with this Texas wall, the China wall, I mean, you know, Tartaria talks about Russia and China being kind of a part of this same empire. And, you know, we know with the right amount of boat technology, you can travel around the whole world pretty easily. The global, you know, ocean currents do that, you know, they, they, they create basically a highway. And yeah, I think, you know, not only does the paranormal side of things give us a, a view into what our world really is, but history should, and it's more often than not, the same people who are trying to hide Bigfoot and all the paranormal stuff from us that are also trying to suppress our true history, even going back to the biblical stuff. Like, you know, Dr. Michael Heisner is one of the few people who will give you that take, I'm sure, because most people who study the Bible, they don't want to think that it's talking about actual angels as beings that can come here and talk to you or, or 
giants, the real Nephilim that once roamed the land and were all destroyed in a flood. I mean, hey, folks, guess what? The coastline is 400 feet higher than it used to be. If that's not evidence for a global flood and the Bible talking about an actual event, you know, then I don't know what is, you know? And, yeah. and, and I think somehow, some way, the paranormal stuff connects to that, you know, whether or not. Yeah. I mean, whether or not Bigfoot was actually like a participant in this ancient civilization or, you know, they're somehow, you know, the last remnants of it. I think there's something to that. And the woo woo side of like, oh, well, we can, you know, walk through the forest with Bigfoot arm in arm. Like that's me, Tony. Totally. That's fine. I, I, I think that the Bigfoot aspect of things, there have been plenty of positive interactions, but I've heard way too many of scary ones. And I'm like, I don't want to come across one of those, but to the, to the, the Nephilim thing, here's another thing that irritates me. Like, like, listen, I'm, I am a Christian. Like, like, let's just, be, I'm just being honest with people. Like I went to Bible college, like, like, like I'm, I'm a Christian, but I get really frustrated with Christians that don't want to read the Bible. They say they believe in and actually believe what it says in that book. And so you have, Genesis 6, chapter 6, verse 4, talking about the Nephilim, very vague. And then it follows, the uh, next thing that follows is the flood. And supposedly the flood wiped out everything. Not true. It, it, it can't be true. Because in Numbers 13, which happens well after the flood, the Israelites send spies into the land of Canaan to see what's there. And they come back with a report of there are giants in the land and we look like grasshoppers to them. So the Nephilim giants that existed in Genesis 6-4, then flood, still existed well after the flood. How is that possible? I don't know. All I can tell you is read the book for what it says and believe it if you say you believe these things. And that's, that's just kind of how I look at it. But it's a very interesting thing when you go down these roads of the, the Nephilim giants, the fallen angels, like the book of Enoch and the prophecies. Like it, it's 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 I love it. I freaking love that stuff, man. Like it gets me all juiced up. But um, back to to Michael Wan. I just want to say before I forget, I would love to be in touch with him because he's in my area. Did you did he take you to the location, or is it is it, is it accessible to be able to see the hieroglyphs? Yeah, I think it's accessible by canoe. But yeah, I don't know how how lock and key and secretive it is. But yeah, I'd love to put you in touch with them. There is another site that you might be interested in going to. You, you probably wouldn't need his help to get there. The Foulmouth F A F A L M O U T H Foulmouth Stones, and they're not too far from Three Mile Island, but they're very strange stones. There, all carved sort of like circles and straight 90 degree angles carved into them it certainly doesn't look natural but from what he told me the the geographical or the a geological explanation is glaciers or some sort of melting that malformed the rocks in that way that's one area of interest geologically but then you know the whole apple twitch story i mean that's just local to amish country so i don't think he particularly had an experience other than just, you know, kind of bringing it off offhand there. But the hieroglyphics, I think, are, are on the this Conestoga River, okay. where Conestoga and the Susquehanna meet. And I think it's only accessible by water. So I definitely would love to put you in touch with him. And maybe we can all go visit it together because that was something that Mike said he would show me. 
that that would be awesome i I would love it i mean it sounds so mysterious i i if mike's okay with filming i would love to film there too and and shoot video and stuff i mean man even can you imagine like go getting there by like canoe you know which is a journey in itself you get there you spend the night around it and stuff and you you just see you know what if anything happens and stuff Mm -hmm. because the history of this area is rich like yeah like you were just down here in the philly area there's so many people here I mean, the county that I live in that's 40 minutes outside of Philadelphia still has almost a million people in it. There is so many people around here. And so you forget the history of it. But I live 20 minutes down the road from Valley Forge, which is which is a huge uh, piece of history for us. And and people forget it even is there that it even exists because we've built on top of everything. So the fact that he found he found that or he heard about it, whatever, like it's amazing. And I, I would love to see it. I, I would love to see that. It's like a yeah. treasure. That's a treasure, dude. That is a treasure. Yeah. And I think that's the most exciting thing that has happened to me synchronistically getting into this podcasting stuff is making connections with folks like yourself. And then, you know, an actual friendship is formed and we're investigating stuff and meeting up to go on these trips. I'm sure fans of your show are, you know, kind enough to support you and then go on one of these bus trips to Wilson Castle or wherever else, you know, that that's really exciting. You know, you take something that is really introspective and bring it out into the real world. You know, I, I think podcasting is the next generation. And obviously someone who's transitioned from a YouTube show to a podcast, you've seen, you know, tremendous growth. I mean, obviously the king of of paranormal podcasting, I would say, if you had to to rank. But what does the future hold other than going on these live, you know, tours and and f- putting more video content out? What plans do you have in store? Is there any places other than Kentucky that you're you're planning on visiting in the next couple years? Yeah, so I'm doing so much stuff, man. I mean, so like we have the Confessionals podcast. We have uh, Hammer Lane Legends, which is a podcast that me and my dad host together. And we have Legion of Legends, which is going to be sponsored by the Confessionals on YouTube on the Confessionals channel where we go out hunting for these legends that we hear about on the show. I might be starting a podcast for my wife. There's so many things I'm doing, but one of the locations that I want to go to for Legion of Legends is the Georgia Guidestones. And so just like a week, maybe two weeks ago, I got on this kick and I'm like, I got to find out who these people were that built this thing. It's a Mm -hmm. big secret and I'm tired of it. And so I found the guy who was the banker that handled the account for this whole construction. He's the only person that is still alive that knows who RC Christian is. And I got his number and I called it and I, I, his wife answered. And I asked for him. She put him on the phone. And I'm thinking to myself, like, he's going to say, don't call me. He's 90 years old. He said that he didn't want to talk about this anymore. He talked to me for like 25, 30 minutes about this whole thing. And the only reason why the conversation ended is because I started losing reception. And he told me I can call him back anytime. And we built a solid foundation of a possible relationship there where next time we talk, which I, I, I got to call him actually probably this week. I'm going to talk to him about maybe coming down and visiting him. I want to sit and talk with him because he, he will not say who RC Christian was because he promised he won't release that identification and he's a man of his word and I can respect that. But what he believes the Georgia sky, the Georgia guidestones were built for may not be truthful. 
So he's only going off of what he was told by R.C. Krishna as to why they built it, which is a logical thing that, you know, it was built during the Cold War and they, they would believe that there could be a nuclear fallout and we needed these steps for humanity to build back, build back better. And uh, <laughs> so the, you know, one the very first rule in the Georgia Guidestones is to limit the population of the earth to 500 million people. And what we're seeing in today's world, it seems like the, the, the goal and agenda of the Georgia Guidestones are being played out in real time. And what I want to do is I want to, like, I don't want to make him do anything, but I want to get him to at least understand why I view the way I view the world, what I am doing and why I think that if RC Christian was not truthful with him, why it would be very beneficial for all of humanity if he would release the name of who RC Christian was, because then I can take that name because I'm just a schmuck with a podcast, but I can take that name and give it to people like Charlie Robinson. Sam Tripley and disperse it throughout the, this community of people who can really dig and find out who this man was and is he connected to the people that are doing things today. And that, 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 like, that's the whole motivation for this trip, because I believe that that might be a possibility. And so, um, yeah, Georgia Guidestones, I, I think I might be pursuing that pretty heavily soon. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, I would love to help you in any capacity that I can. I, I remember hearing that whole story. The first thing that came to mind, I think this was even part of the researcher that was relaying this to me was Rosicrucianism, right? R.C. Christian, Rosicrucianism. And, and Rosicrucianism is definitely an interesting uh, can of worms. I know that there's a guy named Recluse out there who recently did a, an episode of the Higher Side Chats about the Rosicrucians. Tobias Churton has written a bunch about the Rosicrucians, but I would love to look into that further because I have plenty of books on the Rosicrucians, and uh, I think if they have anything to do with it, that would, you know, point a lot of, you know, it would it would lead into the, a lot of the same directions a lot of these things already point us towards, but it's more confirmation to exactly what you're saying, the why this matters. Like, hey, if people are trying to depopulate the world, we should know who that is and maybe why they made that decision without everyone else's consent. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you just take the, the ang different angles of this, I mean, but you could say, uh, well, why would they ever release their plan? Why would they ever tell us what they're doing? Cause that's what they do. Like when it comes to like the, the idea of these elites being like these high ranking, like occult members and stuff. Like part of that process from what I understand is that they actually have to tell you what they're going to do before they do it. And that almost like relieves them of any moral responsibility as to why you died. It's like, well, we told you it was going to happen. So they got to do it in these roundabout ways. Is the Georgia Guidestones something like that? I don't know. Why, why, why are we, why are we building something that has all these rules of life. It's very mysterious. It's written in eight different languages or nine different languages, and nobody can know who made it. What's the point of that? If, if we're worried about nuclear fallout, then what, whatever organization is funding it, there, in my mind, if it, say I was the, or, the organization of Tony is funding the construction of this because there's a Cold War going on and I just want to make sure that humanity can move forward if we have nuclear fallout. I'm going to tell people that I'm 
constructing this and why I'm constructing it so that we can all come together and talk about these things so that we're all on the same page so that when those nukes drop and we all die, the remaining of us understand that the Georgia Guidestones are here to help guide the remaining of us to move forward. But they're, they're like, there's none of that. The only reason why we know that, that the idea of the Cold War theory is because the guy I talked to said that's what R.C. Christian told him. Mm. So, like, if I'm worried about humanity, I'm not just going to build expensive stones, not tell anybody who built it, and just hope they figure it out. We're going to have a think tank. We're going to have brainstorming sessions. We're going to think about what else can we do to prepare for this moment. It, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. On looking into all of this, like, you know, prophetic timeline manipulation that these secret societal groups are allegedly participating in, it would make sense that they would want to monumentalize their agenda in this way. And it's, you know, some people would interpret the Guidestone tenants as Luciferian. You know, other people might say it's like, has a very clear environmentalist message, which fits right into the whole climate change you know, agenda that's right. going on. You know, Jim Lee, who was just on Tinfoil Hat, climate or weathermodificationhistory.com. He's a brilliant guy. And one of the things that he said that really stuck with me is like, don't talk about climate change unless you know who the climate changers are. And it's very clear that the elite, the 1% and all of their, you know, tentacles are manipulating the weather. So I'm not in the position of, you know, chicken little, thinking the sky is going to fall on my head. But I also see that the planet is definitely, you know, better off without pollution, without toxins, without poisons. So there is the sort of middle ground that needs to be found. But yeah, I, I think the Georgia Guidestones are certainly a part of the larger mystery and a piece of this puzzle that's still yet to be, you know, solved. But Tony, unless you have something to add to that, I have one more question to ask you before we, we have you share your plugs. That's, I mean, listen, man, I don't got anything else to share right now, but if I do, you'll know about it. Cause <laughs> I, I, it, we didn't even touch on the person that I know. I, I personally have their phone number. I've talked to them on the phone. That's that right now is on the Clinton kill list. We can go down that road sometime too. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's crazy, but no, you covered it very well. So go for it. <laughs> right on. Well, my last question here is, does your family still think you're crazy after building this incredibly successful podcast and hammer lane legends, which is on its way to being a totally different niche podcast? Cause I'm sure there's a lot of truckers out there who are like, this is pretty freaking cool, you know, but the paranormal thing, I mean, you've, you've hit the top of the charts. Does your family still think you're crazy for this stuff? No, not at all. That's why my dad's a co-host for Hammerlane Legends. So, so I'm the kind of person that when I decide I'm going to do something and I want to do it, I'm obsessive about it. And so I became very obsessive about podcasting. I dove right in and from day one, I treated it like it was a full-time job and people didn't understand that. They're like, you're treating this like you're making money. You're making no money. And we don't understand why you didn't show up to your cousin's wedding. And I'm like, because I had interviews and I prioritized things in my life differently. And I just don't expect people to understand the motivation. And, and that's for everybody. When you're, when you're passionate about something, you can't expect everybody to understand the motivation behind what you're passionate about. But if you believe in it, you got to keep going forward. And that's what I did to the point now where we, we are, if you're taking just a general topic of a paranormal, we're probably one of the big, biggest, if not the biggest paranormal podcast in the world. And it, it was through a lot of effort. And through that process, though, 
your family members, your friends that remained, your coworkers, they start seeing the evolution of the process and they start believing in you. And all of a sudden they go, the guys at work go from laughing at you for talking about Bigfoot on a microphone to saying, Hey, how's the podcasting going? You know, like, you know, it's just one of those things, but you have to be willing to live in your own lane and allow the other people, the, the outside influence to revolve around you because they're gonna, but don't pay it any mind and just know your goal, your mission and carry it through no matter what. And I think a lot of times this came up a lot during this t- conversation, the peer pressure of things. People get nervous about it. Stepping outside the box. Oh, I'm 30 some years old. I don't know if I should start a podcast. That sounds like a kid game thing. Like, no, it's not. The future of content creation is so bright moving forward. It's insane. One day you're going to tell somebody, your kids are going to say to somebody, I'm a content creator. And that will be viewed just like a doctor, a lawyer, a very solid career to be moving into because that's where we're moving. If we're still here, you know, no. So yeah, people, they, they dig it and they're, they, they're, they're fully supportive and stuff. My family, my friends, you know, the proof is in the pudding, you know? Yeah, no. And I agree with that last point you just made hundred percent. That's why I started the cooperative, which you are a part of, and you know, you've been a part of it since basically day one and it's still growing and becoming more and more every day. But yeah, folks go over to the confessionals podcast and hammer lane legends to get more Tony. You can see that on our all media United page, but Tony, tell them where else they can find you. Legion Uh, of Legends. it, It is a YouTube show that is going to be me and my brother and whoever else I decide to bring for a trip. I'm very selective, but we're going out and we're hunting for the legends that we've heard about for five years on the confessionals. So paranormal, Bigfoot, Dogman. We're also throwing in urban exploration. We're also throwing in treasure hunting, just fun stuff. And we're putting that as a sponsored video series by the confessionals. So when you watch it, it'll say something like, you know, Legion of Legends brought to you by and sponsored by the Confessionals podcast. Right. Uh, trying to house everything underneath one roof. An ever-evolving process. Eventually, I'll make a website for it and all that fun stuff. But uh, yeah, the other places, the Confessionals, theconfessionalspodcast.com. You can find us on any podcast playing app. And then uh, Hammer Lane Legends is a podcast, very similar format as the Confessionals, only it's me and my dad interviewing other people who drive for a living, truck drivers, Uber drivers, city bus drivers, and their wild experiences in the vehicles. Because I come from truck driving. My dad's a truck driver. We've seen crazy stuff on the road. I've, I've seen a tractor trailer driver coming out of Philadelphia, mad at a SEPTA bus, trying to run the SEPTA bus off on the Schuylkill. And I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> it was crazy. And so we talked to people about their, you know, how they got into driving and all that fun stuff. But it's a lot of laughing to the point that I categorized it underneath comedy. And um, people just really like it. And so check that out, uh, hammerlandlegends.com or any podcast app. And, you know, if, if you really just want to know what I'm doing in the future, I, I don't know what to tell you. Just Google my name and or duck, duck, go my name and I'll pop up on something. You're like, oh, I didn't know he was doing that. Yeah. It just started last week. I just starting it, you know, so I'm all laid out. Yeah, no, I love it. I was a former driver myself. I'm now I'm thinking of like all the stories we could have got into today, but either way, Tony, this has been so much fun, man. It's a pleasure knowing you and a pleasure listening to your show. I encourage everybody who listened this long to go check out the confessionals and hammer lane legends. Like you said, podcasting is becoming this amazing type of media that offers people an authentic connection with other actual authentic people and there's no filters between the content like right. there used to be 
I'll tell you, man, one day people are going to say, I don't want to become a Hollywood actress. I just want to be a content creator. Cause you oh. like, 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 I'm telling you, why let somebody else control everything you do and how you say things and what you're allowed to say when you can just do you and be just as successful and people know you just as much. Content creation is where it's at. If moving forward, I'm telling you, people don't want to work for Hollywood and all that crap that goes on out there. They just want to be themselves and let people follow them. Wow, if you listen this long, we really appreciate you. So go on over to the Patreon and get some more exclusive My Family Thinks I'm Crazy content. And since I love you guys so much, I did everyone a favor and I put the Ari Aslan video on Rockfin. So go check that out on Rockfin. Help us out over there. But we love you for listening to this conversation with Tony Merkel. I mean, wow. That Kentucky story. Glad to hear both dogs survived. Remember that? The Slewfoots almost got him. But Bo and I think Bo and Jack. It's a couple days ago, folks. So forgive me. But they were okay and... I hope Tony's all right when he goes out to Kentucky. We'll be in Vegas, hopefully. Then, so if you want to support us on our journey, we got a lot of stuff to do. We're trying to get a bus, and all that's coming together. And it would really be nice to have some more support on the Patreon. It's the value for value universe for women, and folks. I mean. Content creation is the way this whole thing is going. So if you are out there and you want to start a podcast, check out my website, altmediaunited.com. Get in touch with me at altmediaunited at gmail.com and let me know what you think. Even if it's just an idea, let's talk and make it happen. Stay. I don't want to stay. I don't want to stay. I don't want to.